0: This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods, an online and wholesale distributor of heritage breed meat and poultry. Learn more at heritagefoods.com.
1: I'm HRN's communications director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3. I I think we should realize that we more or less have a broken food system. When 800 million of us go to bed hungry, uh, 600 million are obese, uh, we waste 30% of our food, then something is fundamentally wrong. We'll introduce you to one food waste solution happening in Asia. They introduced a system where residents were issued an electronic ID card that would open an automated bin and enable them to weigh the food waste being dropped off. And then they would be charged, you know, in a certain amount of money for the weight of that food. And we'll take a look at some of the real struggles happening closer to home.
0: How is it possible that a meal that was perfectly fine to consume at 10.59 10.59 p.m. then becomes waste at 11 p.m.
1: So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all of my previous episodes are available in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org and probably wherever you get your podcasts. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you are listening. Our sponsor today is Heritage Foods. If you don't know them, you should check them out, heritagefoodsusa.com. Today's theme, ancient ice cream. Seems like, you know, a little bit of a, an oxymoron when you think about it. We pay no mind to the fact that we can get ice cream pretty much anytime and anywhere with 24-hour Walmarts and drive-through Baskin Robbins, but let's step back a few hundred years to a time when there was no refrigeration. In hot regions, that meant things had to be pickled, dried, or eaten pretty much as soon as they were harvested, or you had to bring down ice and snow when it happened in the mountains. Of course, adding sugar helped preserve things too, and we're programmed to like things that are sweet. Let's take this pondering over to the Levant, which was once, like much of Europe and the Middle East, part of the Ottoman Empire. Now it's where Syria, Jordan, Palestine, Israel, Iraq, Lebanon, Cyprus, and Turkey are. Sweets and nuts there have been known for millennia. It's there that ice cream was first created. Seems strange to conceive of this cold food starting in a place that we often associate with hot, arid desert. But it was some ingenious Turk, or Ottoman, or as somebody suggested someone fell asleep when it was cold out, although I'm not sure I believe that one, who figured out that with a certain mixture of good cream, dried orchid bulbs, tree sap, and some form of cold, likely a bowl of snow, they could be turned into what we now know as a favorite to pretty much everyone in the world. I've yet to meet anyone who doesn't like ice cream. I remember as a kid, using the old hand-churned ice cream maker, you had to pack salt and ice together and you had to work for it. You had to churn and churn. This is sort of a modern equivalent of the way that Booza, was made. It needs to be pounded and stretched to remove air and ice crystals while it's chilling and the mastic and salab add a stretch akin to a soft really cold taffy. I visited today's guests a few weeks ago at their shop Republic of Bouza to see it for myself. Since I don't think we'd be able to do the whole stretching thing here in the studio I had to go visit them and I got to taste all of their delicious flavors. While the stretch is definitely social media-ready, until we invent Tastagram, there's no substitute for tasting the flavors. Ranging from classics like mint chip, chocolate or vanilla, to honey labna and red miso, they were some of the best ice creams I've ever tasted. Thank you, Michael Sadler and Gilbert Elsmetter for having me in your shop and for coming down to talk in the studio today.
2: Thanks for having us. Thanks indeed.
0: So Michael and Gilbert are the founders of, uh, of Boza, or the, sorry, of the Republic of Booza here in Williamsburg. It's on North 4th Street. Uh, I suggest anyone who is in New York or if you're visiting, you should go and check it out. Um, but tell me about Bousa. I had never heard of it uh, when I first was introduced to you guys. And, you know, we were talking about doing this show. So how do you, you know, when some, most people don't know what it is, except that it's some kind of ice cream. Tell me about it.
1: So the, uh, the original way that we describe it is, uh, or the first way that we describe it is
0: we say buza is the uh, the original form
1: of ice cream that was first developed about 500 years ago in the Levant region of the eastern Mediterranean. And its principal point of distinction compared to other forms of ice cream is a soft, elastic-like consistency that ultimately makes it a superlatively smooth,
0: dense, and creamy ice cream. You have that down. That's a good. It's a really good description. I, I definitely. I didn't. You know, my my writing about it was not quite as good. Superlative is a very good way to uh, describe it. But it also it doesn't have any eggs, right? No, no eggs. Um, so I mean, I think that that's a you know, in a in a time where. We are dealing with lots of different food allergies or food, you know, people have, have different ideas about what they want to eat, what they can eat, what they can't eat. I think the fact that your ice cream has no eggs really does set it apart in, in, in an even different way.
1: Yeah, no, it's, a, it's quite well received because not only does it not have eggs, it is all natural, all plant-based, it doesn't have any one of these eight-syllable level synthesized chemical stabilizers <laughs> that I neither know how to pronounce nor care to, uh, which which is something interesting, because people see the consistency, and it's it's a bit different to them. And one of the questions that they, they ask is, you know, what additives are in this? And it's, right. it's interesting needing to explain that actually there, there are none. This is...
0: Right. The only- ingredients in it were originally added for what they bring to it, not in terms of making it shelf stable or making it, you know, hold its texture longer or any of those kinds of things. So tell me a little bit about, I mean, the, the, you know, the ingredients that we sort of know are in there that make sense are sugar, milk, cream, you know, something in that, in that vein. Um, The flavorings, obviously, I mean, you guys go from classics to, you know, to really interesting, more, I would say, uh, fun and more modern flavors, which we will get to in a minute. But there are a couple of other things in there. I mean, the Salab and the Mastic, which really are what set it apart and are really also, I think, um, really tie it to a region. I mean, other ice cream, you know, you don't pick up a pint of Ben and Jerry's and like, Think about you know Vermont. I don't think as it being like the birthplace of it, except that that's where like they were hippie dudes who like founded an ice cream company. Um, but so tell me a little bit about that, like the mastic and the salab and like how does that play into and why is it important? Um,
2: in terms of I guess thinking about those ingredients specifically, they're extremely localized ingredients that haven't really traveled far and wide around the world. I guess sahab specifically. Um, is indigenous to that that part of the world um, it's never really been cultivated um, outside of that region I guess people haven't really found a need to use it they've generally substituted other things as time mm. has gone on found alternatives um, to create whether it's ice cream or to thicken anything using alternatives essentially and I think um, t- together with the mastic mastic was um, it is from that part of the world, specifically more from islands uh, in, in Greece um, and used in both savoury and sweet foods as well. Also, it didn't really travel outside of that part of the world Um, whether it was tastes, not really accepting those kind of flavors or having a need for those.
0: Yeah, I mean, Um, just to explain, if people are listening who don't know, salab is made from an orchid, um, from the root, the tuber essentially that's dried and ground, and it's a powder and it's a thickener used in beverages, used in foods in that region. Um, And mastic is pine sap. It's sap from a specific tree. Um, And those are both, you know, those are ingredients that don't really appear. Although I I have recently... Read about some use of pine sap for a very specific dish in the West, like during logging sort of days in the 19th century in in Western North America, um, where they would take sap and use it to cook potatoes. Oh, um, interesting! Which is supposed to be this, you know, apps like it's supposed to be like the nirvana of a baked potato. It's like that it is wrapped in. Sap or mastic, and, well uh,
2: roasted. I have to give it a give it a give it a go in the store. <laughs>
0: maybe, maybe you could do a roasted potato yeah, flavor. Yeah,
2: create a flavor from mm-hmm. it. Um, and uh, look, I think those ingredients themselves are very well known in that re- in that part of the world. Outside of there, um, you know, maybe only diaspora communities really know about them. You know, they carry them when they fly back and fly back to America, Australia, wherever they go. Um, or people like you know Michael, for example, who didn't really grow up with, let's say, a Middle Eastern or you know Eastern Mediterranean culture, may not may have been exposed to it when traveling there or being told by a friend and being generally inquisitive about it. Sure. Um, so I think that's you know I think it's more a historical accident. Why well, probably <laughs> I, I scream today. Um, it doesn't really include those ingredients yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know there's cheaper substitutes out there you know corn people can probably figure out some kind of stretchiness <laughs> through like glutinous rice flour or right. corn flour and you know I think mastic as well um, is replaced a lot by something called gum arabic and they're generally confused so gum arabic is actually used um, a lot in different types of foods that we know and eat today as well in the west so Uh, I think um, and then like, from a stabilisation perspective which is a very common thing in ice cream as well uh, egg uh, egg and egg whites in general have been used to provide that texture and that's I guess from from our research and study and investigation over the years in creating this product saw that that really happened um, in Italy really once ice cream kind of made its way there um, into Sicily essentially and then travelled north and Uh, to to the rest of the world from that point in time if you go anywhere really like let's say india for example which have their own version of ice cream called kulfi there's no eggs in that either Um, and i think it's also thinking about uh, an evolution of what's available to you what's fresh and what what you can do with it eggs don't really last very long right um in arid conditions that you were talking about earlier so huh
0: interesting so um gilbert you had you founded a buza company or a company that does some work with Booza in Australia with your sister and she's still doing that there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, how did you get your start with buza there? And then I would love to hear a little bit about how did you guys come together to sort of create what you have here?
2: Yeah, sure. I'll talk a little bit about that and I'll, I'll hand over to Michael to talk about the, uh, the serendipitous events <laughs> that brought us all together. So my sister and I actually at the time I was living in Hong Kong, um, and I wasn't working in any kind of food business or anything like that. And uh, I would travel to the Middle East very frequently. I have a lot of family that lives there. I was traveling through Turkey, Syria, uh, Lebanon, Iran, just for for a holiday, in looking at different types of foods. And I came across, uh, Boza specifically being presented in a specific way and made in a specific way. Now I've I've been told about it my whole life. My dad's a pastry chef. Um, he studied at a culinary school in Beirut, so you know he told me about making it with salt and uh, throwing ice cream into the mix, and and um, but he never really told me about this whole stretchy, pounding, mm. um, elastic consistency that you'd get from ice cream, and and also the showmanship that that came along with that, which you see a lot in uh, a lot in Turkey and also in Syria, but not so much in in Lebanon or anywhere else. And I was fascinated, so I went back to Hong Kong and. I had a machine built, essentially, and put it into my sort of 300-square-foot apartment and (laughs) learned how to make bouzard just for the purpose of learning how to make bouzard. There was no business in mind when I was doing that. And after about three, four months of trial and error, pretty much figured it out, Um, thought the flavor was amazing, you know, had some trial and error with friends and friends with an Asian palette didn't really appreciate the flavors and the textures. It was a Ah. little too floral. Um, But friends and family that were visiting from Australia thought it was great. And um, I spoke to my sister about it and we thought, you know what, maybe we could actually start a business doing this. So it kind of evolved evolved from there. um, And then essentially fast forward to 2016, 2015, 2016, I'm going to hand over to Michael who can kind of go through um, because there's four of us, actually four of us uh, as co-founders who kind of came together when I guess Tamar, who's our, I'm going to call him the founder of the business who kind of came up with the idea um, essentially brought us all together.
1: Yeah. So uh, Tamar is definitely so this is the linchpin of, the, of the, <laughs> the four of us. Got it. He uh, He's a uh, Canadian by citizenship. Uh palestinian by lineage and grew up a bunch of places around the world including cyprus which was where he had his first uh encounter with buza there was a guy that used to come around with a little bicycle uh, the buza man uh, <laughs> and uh that, he, that is, so for him it was a bit of childhood nostalgia but he um he was really struck by the fact that there were not as many flavor there were really only one one there was only one principal flavor which mm-hmm. is the kashta or the candied cream uh, which actually has no real flavor added to it. Right. It's meant to celebrate the natural quality of the dairy. Uh, has, so, you get a little bit of the, the piney, earthy flavor from the sahalib and the mastic, a uh, little bit of uh, aromatics and brightness from some orange blossom water, and then a pistachio garnish, optional. Um, and so, Tamar had the idea that he, he wanted to use, to make, give Booza a breath of fresh air and start making it in a bunch of different flavors. Um, simultaneously, I had uh, encountered Bouza for the first time about a decade ago in the old city of Damascus, where I was doing a, um, where and I was uh, doing a minor in Arabic and spent some time abroad, and I had a sort of similar impression, which was that I walked into this one place in the old city of Damascus, backdash, that's super famous, um, and they specialized only in Bouza, but there was only one flavor that
0: they served. So there's lots of different. Like stalls, but they all have one flavor and uh, they each are making it.
1: And it was one, one place within one place. the market. Got it, got it. Um and they, they specialized in booza, and they only had one flavor. It was only one product on the menu. Huh. And as someone who grew up in the States where you know ice cream shops in the nineties and early aughts were practically engaged in an uh, arms race of ever proliferating flavor sure. offerings. 53
0: 92 yeah whatever <laughs> you can have your own make your own custom flavors yeah
1: <laughs> yeah this uh, this kind of struck me as yeah. a as a you know a little oddity that there was only one option there um, so fast forward a couple years uh, I end up encountering Tamer uh, the summer before we both start were to start graduate school at the same university in the United Kingdom uh, while traveling throughout the Levant area. And so we exchanged contact info, and we each showed up to the UK. We were two of the only people each other knew on campus, oh. and so we quickly established a rapport. And he was doing his MBA at the time. I was studying a, um, a master's in philosophy. I am a, describe myself sometimes as a recovering academic. <laughs> uh, but. Uh, the, uh, Tamar would always joke around with me, he was oh, you know, let's start this booza business, let's start this booza business, and, you know, I was kind of focusing on Wittgenstein and Aristotle and just couldn't really, whatever, uh, and then I ended up pulling the plug on my academic career and Tamar kind of approached me with a bit more serious of a tone saying, so this Booza concept, yeah. you want to do this? Um, so we started sort of throwing around some ideas, getting a bit more serious about planning, meanwhile Tamer ended up going on a business trip to Sydney for uh, for his other job at, at the time and ended up encountering Jill bear at a smorgasburg type market uh, like A farmers so, market essentially yeah. would go there every Saturday morning and try and
2: teach people about boozer and and what it is essentially because yeah it's the
1: process of education yeah and so uh, yeah he saw Jill bear making boozer in a couple different flavors, um, things like uh, uh, I don't fig, even know jam, fig, fig jam and walnut, mm, Yeah, like Tur- a lemon sherbet. Turkish delight, stuff like that. And so he, he instantly approached Gilbert with this concept that he would had to sort of give Booza a modernization, and uh, Gilbert was—sparks were flying, right? Well, I mean, you can speak yeah. for yourself. He <laughs> was totally on board with the idea. Um, I guess the concept was pretty different in Australia, where the— the brand was uh, sort of uh, ice cream of the Levant, and so Got all it. of the flavors were sort of made yeah. in that vein. Got and it. so when Tamar approached Gilbert saying, you know, we want to take buzza and use it as a vehicle to explore flavors from all over, you know, my understanding is that you were like...
0: I'm on board, definitely.
2: Yeah, yeah. from a, small, uh, a small factory in suburban Sydney to
0: New York City. I mean, and it's a great, I mean, that's a great Genesis story. I love that, you know, uh, to me, I feel like it adds a lot of meaning to the idea of it being the Republic of Booza. I mean, that it really has this incredible international backstory um, where you guys came together from all of these varied backgrounds to create a new Republic, right? That's yeah, that's it. Love. I think it's,
2: that's the, like, probably the biggest thing. We all came from different backgrounds, yeah. from diff- with different experiences and cultural upbringings also then bringing hold the republic of like the the global nature of of the flavors that we wanted to present also represent
0: you know food in general across the world yeah awesome we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsor heritage foods usa and uh when we come back uh i want to find out about this uh jewelry store robbery (laughs) we were involved in Oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie, oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie, oh, won't you save all your pumpkin pie, just for me, girl, please don't give none away. This episode is brought to you by Heritage Foods. Heritage Foods was founded to sell ancient breeds of livestock and poultry that were becoming extinct, largely because industrial agriculture willfully pushed healthy heritage breeds aside for more profitable, faster growing animals. Rare heritage breeds are saved when popular demand increases and farmers have the incentive to raise them. This Thanksgiving, we encourage you to buy a turkey from Frank Reese's Good Shepherd Poultry Ranch. Frank's turkeys are 100% purebred heritage, 100% pasture-raised, and 100% antibiotic-free. Turkeys are available in two-pound increments. You choose your size. Don't wait. Pre-order your Heritage Thanksgiving turkey today at heritagefoods.com. Let it get sweeter by the day. I oh, won't you save it, baby? Won't you save it? I oh, won't you save it all for me? Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum. If you're just tuning in, I have two of the founders of the Republic of Booza with me. If you don't know what Booza is, I suggest you rewind to the beginning of the episode uh, and you tune in and listen. Um, but Before the break, I was saying, Gilbert, uh, you know, I understand that at some point uh, you have an interesting story about uh, being, uh, I guess, not exactly a being a part of a robbery in a jewelry store, not necessarily, uh, you know, taking part in the robbery in an active way.
2: Yeah. So (laughs) it's funny the things you can read on the Internet. (laughs) (laughs) So um, in my final year of high school, uh, we had all of we all had all, all of me and my mates had gone on a school camp essentially and after any school camp we were skateboarding night and day back then we would go to the city centre and essentially skate um you know destroying destroying the ground and rails and <laughs> you name it on the streets and be chased around by security guards as you do so we decided to take a break and and grab some lunch um and that was this is in Martin place in sydney and we would videotape ourselves thinking that one day we would be pro or some, some dream like that and we headed down the steps uh, to the subway station there to, to grab a burger and I looked to my left and there was essentially a couple of guys in a jewellery store uh, with a gun um, pointed at the uh, the jewellery store attendant and the, uh, the attendant was essentially loading a black bag full of jewels diamonds you name it I wasn't wow. really paying too much attention to what he was putting into there Um, and my mate Michael behind me had a camera so I said essentially switch it on let's film this and from we were kind of slightly concealed behind a staircase or so we thought and um, essentially filmed the whole thing take place and so it felt like we were there for about an hour but it was probably about 10-15 seconds and essentially watched them essentially leave the store walk up the stairs right past us and we were filming this the whole time and we decided to essentially chase them down the street as they were running towards their getaway car, um, thinking that they didn't really know that we were following them with a camera. S- essentially, one of the guys turned around and essentially pointed the shotgun uh, and cocked it, or whatever you call it, wow. uh, at, at all of us. And at that point in time, you see the video camera cut out and everyone essentially dives behind a wall. And that, that's really the end of it. Yeah, and yeah. proceed from there to spend probably the next... Eight hours sitting in a police station waiting for a report, Yeah. Um, you know, thinking we were going to be famous, thinking we were going to get the videotape back and actually be able to right. look at it and laugh about it, um, none of which actually happened. Um, all of my friends actually were in the front page of a newspaper, local newspaper of the school where we went to. My mum had to approve that and she thought the robbers would come after me if my face was in that newspaper. Right. So, sure. I unfortunately didn't get the limelight that my friends yeah. did, but
0: it's interesting experience but, they, but, but the, the, uh, the, the thieves never came after your friends I hope they did not okay. they
2: did not they were actually apprehended they were um, yeah. we never got the tape back the police yeah. said they have to wipe it or keep it in evidence or something uh, like too, that I mean
0: I'm sure that those were your skateboard moves that would have turned you pro yeah exactly right? exactly I mean, that right was it.
2: that's it yeah <laughs> so well, yeah, it was a pretty scary moment would I do it again
0: <laughs> um, probably not <laughs> I mean it's interesting right now in the modern age everybody has a little video camera in their pocket yeah right? definitely and so you know it, it 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 is a it is a real question of like, you know, do you film it or do you not, right? It's a, you know, I I guess I guess it's good that there are people that can film it, and hopefully the people who are you know perpetrating these things know that people are filming, and perhaps that keeps crime down. I don't know, hard hard to say. Um, well, I want to get back to back to booza I mean, I guess I'm glad you didn't go pro skateboarder. I'm glad the tapes were lost, right? Because otherwise (laughs) we wouldn't be sitting here today. Um, And. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about flavor development. You know, obviously, you guys have a lot. How many flavors do you have in the case at any given time? 17. Yeah, 17. And, and you know, it was described. I mean, it, it, the case is beautiful. The colors of some of them, especially like the saffron, is this beautiful yellow. Uh, when I would, the day I was there, I believe there was a blackberry um, that was just, you know, as purple as can be. Um, David Leibovitz wrote on his blog about coming to visit you guys that it was the most beautiful ice cream case he's ever seen. And, I mean, he's a guy who knows a lot about desserts and sweets Mm -hmm. and ice creams um so you know how do you develop your flavors i mean the classics obviously we all know what the classics are vanilla chocolate uh you know you talked about the the um you know the classic booza flavors um but what about the other flavors where does the inspiration come from
2: yeah so we we divide our flavors essentially into three categories and this is we had to do this because there was so many different choices and ideas that we were coming up with yeah that we wanted to kind of at least categorize them so they made sense to people. Um, Classics essentially are, at the moment, American classic flavors. So, obviously, we did that because you never know. Maybe at some point in the future, we're going to open a store in another country or another location where a classic may mean something completely different. Sure. So, we wanted to keep ourselves open to that. We then have essentially a global flavor uh, category, which is essentially... Talking about specific ingredients or flavors in specific locations in the world, whether sweet or savory, that we can represent and pay homage to with Buza as essentially the vehicle of that flavor. Got it. So, so, you know, that, so for
0: instance, like the red miso. Exactly. Like a
2: Sichuan white chocolate. You know, Sichuan and dessert is just not a thing. Yeah. Definitely not in China. <laughs> yeah, um, Desserts in general in China are not a thing, but... That's um, that's an example of that, and then we go over to the experimental flavor category, which essentially gives us the ability and free reign to present weird, wacky, inspirational, interesting combinations of things we've seen in our travels, in our experience, and to bring them as, as well and present those. And that those. would be like that.
0: I mean, I remember tried. I tried. I think it was pineapple and burnt yeah. butter.
2: Pineapple, art. burnt butter. There's yeah. sumac in it. There's some yep. basil. You know, it's like a any combination of things that we think can work, and. Uh, one of the uh, one of the things I like to stress, and I find very important, is ice cream should not only be a sweet thing. I want to try and bring other flavors that uh, are in the palate, in the flavor palette as well, whether sa- whether savory, whether salty, spicy, um, bitter, any of those kind of things. I think you can present them in ice cream, and it doesn't have to be sweet. Yeah. Still need to add some kind of sugar, obviously, or it won't right. never be ice cream. But yeah,
0: yeah. And so then, are you the one in the lab, Gilbert? I mean, you're the yeah.
2: One... So myself, um, we spent sort of michael and i spent quite a bit of time in the early days even before we had a store or location brainstorming all these ideas about different types of flavors and combinations that we can execute um obviously there's a a limit to how crazy you can go because a lot of preparation required to prepare enough product and and continue to innovate as well sure um so um, I probably spend yeah most of my time in the lab. I have a I have a, a team, a sort of production assistant, Jeff, that helps me out with the day to day stuff as well. He's a, he's a he's a pastry and ice cream chef as well, so he's mm-hmm. he's quite good in helping create some of the newer flavors and bring some of his perspective as well. So I think it's it's more about bringing ideas to the table and seeing if they work, seeing how they're going to scoop, seeing how they're going to present. Because if you think about you know the the elasticity of the of the texture our staff are playing with it a lot so a swirl might not sit very well in a, in the cabin if it's constantly being played with right. the, the color's going to dissipate so sure. you have to factor in some of those aspects that maybe a standard scoop shop wouldn't have to worry about got
0: it. and so Michael then are you responsible more for like the front of house and the the outreach and that kind of side of things
1: yeah more the operations marketing yeah. side of things got it um, I, I like to think I contribute to some of the flavour brainstorming <laughs> I, I have, well I, I imagine you have to taste all of it right yeah quality control yeah <laughs> uh, (laughs) I I do have one concept I want to dust off my gloves this uh this coming holiday season so cool it's uh it's been a while since I've I've gotten back in the lab
0: but I was gonna ask sort of so you know so what's coming so you guys have just sort of made it through your first summer uh just dropped below 40 degrees last night here in New York uh feels a little early to me uh we haven't hit you know haven't hit Halloween yet um so as a you know as an ice cream shop um, you know, people like ice cream all the time, right? I mentioned earlier, Ben and Jerry started in Vermont. They were in a ski town. You know, they they have turned into a, a global uh, global name. Um, you know, what are you guys planning for the for the winter now that you're sort of through your first summer? So
1: we actually just today uh, probably you know, started being served as uh, we started rolling here on air. The uh, we have uh, two Halloween flavors oh, cool. that are rolled out. We have a Choco Lantern. <laughs> Which is a pumpkin-flavored booza laced throughout with a chocolate ganache, a dark chocolate ganache. And then we have a a fun one, a Dracula's Bloody Mess. Oh, wow. Which is a white chocolate Rocky Road of marshmallows, chocolate chunks, uh, almonds, and with a... Sour Cherry Blood Swirl throughout. Cool. So uh, so we've got some holiday stuff going on right now. Um, as Thanksgiving and the more proper holiday season approaches, we'll, we'll keep this rotation going with stuff that's you know, appropriate month to month. Uh, we also have some... Some uh, warmer cold weather offerings that are in the cards. Uh, I don't know if it's appropriate to reveal
0: exactly what those are sure. quite yet well but, and people uh, should people should head over to the shop to, to find out I think right. um, you know one of the things that, that I found interesting and, and one of the things in reading about Buza online there's a lot of talk about um, you know the solidab and the mastic keeping it from melting quite as fast right so I mean it has this stringy texture and so you guys end up end up serving it actually warmer than a lot of ice cream, right? I remember you, you. Uh, I took home a couple of flavors with me and you said, make sure you pull them out of the freezer a little bit before to let them warm up. And I was thinking, warm up? That's weird, you have to let your ice cream warm up. But you know, it makes sense, right? That it would end up being too hard and wouldn't have that proper texture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do you find that like, do your cones last longer than like, you know, if you did like a side-by-side with like, you know, Haagen-Dazs, would theirs just melt into a puddle and yours would maintain some texture?
1: Um, I think there are two interesting things going on here about Booza as a distinct form of ice cream or frozen dessert compared to others. Uh, one of them is is the density that contributes to it lasting longer. Or mm. one piece of you know, sort of product education that we've had to undertake is that people are used to visuals of ice cream that is punctuated throughout with air, sometimes as uh, much as fifty percent, and so you see these giant scoops of ice cream and you think you're getting like an average portion, but really half of it is air. Um, Um, Booza has no air (laughs) whipped into it whatsoever, and so what you're getting is really just pure product. And so uh, what we serve as a small uh, might visually strike some people as a bit stingy, but in reality it's a full quarter pound, quarter pint of ice cream. Right, Um, just without the air. Just without any of the air. So that, that actually lasts for quite a bit. Um, and will, will last for a, a while uh, while you're eating it, simply because it is a lot of product. Sure. Um, the other thing I, uh, to, ties into what Joe Bear was mentioning earlier about exploring different areas of the flavor spectrum, uh, because booze is served at around 12 to 15 Fahrenheit, as opposed to anywhere from minus five to you know five or six degrees. You know, going from free grocery store pints to gelato on opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, We actually that makes it a more perfect vehicle to explore flavors from all over as you start getting to those super cold temperatures the uh the flavor spectrum is distorted yeah um so you know you might have a, a flavor that has some salinity to it that's meant to structure the other ingredients but when you have it at that cold temperature you'll get the the sting of the salt on the sides of your tongue, but you won't actually get the flavor that it's meant to structure. Sure. Um, because of the temperature range at which we serve buse, we kind of have a bit more of carte blanche to go crazy with yeah. uh, with where we're exploring. Nice. So uh, I, th- I think that's one of the the really interesting things about this is that you know, in terms of flavor development, because it more accurately represents the flavors that it carries, it um, the world is sort of our oyster with whatever we want to explore. You know, anything that you think tastes good i would argue probably could be made to taste good in booza <laughs> awesome.
2: i want to jump in as well i think it's worthwhile mentioning one of the uh, unique characteristics of serving a product at a warmer temperature is you can also smell it okay oh yeah so there's another obviously a sensory aspect you have to consider when you when you with whatever kind of food you have right, right. normally before you eat something oh. you smell it first right and, and, it taste it, smell. and that's right yeah. exactly right so you know, quite a few people said to us during our soft launch, friends and family are like, wow, this is like the first time I've ever smelt ice cream. Huh. You know, whether it's the ingredient, whether it's like the dairy, the, the smell of the dairy, the mastic, the orange blossom, you know, you can smell those things just before you eat them, which impacts the whole experience as right. well.
0: Oh, man. So that's Yeah, that's a really good like,
2: point. It's like, you know, I think... A, a, you know, back in these 14, 1500s, did people really think about this stuff when they accidentally <laughs> came upon bulls? Probably not, but, you know, we can take advantage of those things now.
0: Right. Of course. So, you know, coming up in the in the future, uh, do you envision people being able to I mean, obviously, people can take home booza now from the shop, Um, you know, the experience of watching it be scooped was one that I was fascinated by, because it doesn't scoop in the same way that we think of ice cream being scooped. Um, You know, I, I imagine you have to train your Servers in a very different way if they've worked in other ice cream shops where you can just scoop the ice cream and it comes out as a perfect sphere definitely Booza it doesn't scoop that way, so there definitely is a, i I noticed that they had to develop a technique mm-hmm. of kind of lifting it and sort of padding it putting it together into a scoop, whether that's in a cone or in a cup.
2: yeah, I think I'm um, thinking about the future and how we grow because you can take home a pint like you did yourself yeah. and um and Michael mentioned to you, take it out of the freezer before you and let it essentially get to the right temperature um, because once it's at the right temperature with just a little bit of agitation, essentially, you can essentially get that texture that you yeah. want from the product. Now, let's say you don't have that texture. It's, it, it maybe has a different mouthfeel, mm-hmm. um, but you're not going to get all the awesome flavours out yeah. of it if you're, if you're serving it too cold anyway. Right. Um, and I think that it's a very common problem I think with any ice cream manufacturer it is the right balance of sugars and other ingredients to get it uh, servable at home straight out of the freezer sure. that's why a lot of people add things like glucose and other types of additives just to change the freeze point depression of the product um, but that's something that i've already been doing for many years in australia so I can sure. but that's gonna i think probably be one of the easier parts Got it. Um, of our growth as a business um you know any kind of entrepreneur in the retail space will tell you it's always a
0: battle yeah and then i mean it it seems to me you guys are in a in a great uh position to do custom flavors for for, for restaurants for food service um whether whether that's something you're developing that then becomes an exclusive somewhere or whether someone comes to you i mean i love the idea what you're talking about and one you know i i I don't remember. I think it was at Sign of the Dove, which was a long gone, very fancy restaurant in Manhattan when I was it was like it was the very first like really, really nice dinner that I ever went to. I was 18 and with uh, a the first like course or amuse or whatever was a savory ice cream. And I remember it so specifically, and I feel like I don't see it that much. I mean, you end up, you know, people end up, you end up with a sorbet as a palate mm-hmm. cleanser and very, like, you know, tasting menus and things like that. But the idea of, like, a savory ice cream flavor, I think, is really, like, underexplored. Yeah, definitely. And I like, I guess, if if this is, a like, a shameless plug by yeah. any means, <laughs> if,
2: if any, I guess, restaurants and and uh, sort of cafes, any other people want to explore flavor, is a great vehicle and it doesn't have to be that elastic type of uh, ice cream that you see in the instagram videos or anything like that it's sure. about obviously thickening it to a certain point to get the right texture um, and allow you to serve it in a restaurant setting as well you know some great great ideas that we have one of which i can disclose is like essentially like a tzatziki a tzatziki sorbet sort of mm. with sort of shredded cucumber mixed throughout it a um, little bit of sweetness, but obviously the tartness of the yogurt yeah. could be served there with some pita bread on the side, and you can right. actually dip into it. Sure, um, oh, which kind of makes it, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, position to, to 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 be where we are uh, and have the ability to play with flavors and, and and essentially work with people from around. You know, we've got a few projects that we've uh, we've got in the pipeline now as well for, with restaurants and some cafes um, coming up with some unique flavors. So keep an eye out for those. Great. Well,
0: I mean, I, I can't wait to see it. I mean, you guys are the first Booza scoop shop in the United States, right? That's uh, right. And so, you know, here's to, here's to more of it. I mean, it really is a, you know, I, I encourage everybody to get down there and check it out. If you're not in New York, you can read more at republicofbooza.com. Um, and I'm sure there's a contact us page on there if any restaurants or chefs want to get in touch and know more about the product or work on flavor development with you guys. Any, anything else? Any other events coming up or things people should be on the lookout for?
1: Uh, I would say to, uh f- also shameless plug follow yeah. follow our social media channels <laughs> uh, we do we don't want to reveal too much in advance to coordinate the uh you know, proper push at the right time. But uh, <laughs> follow us at uh, on Instagram and Facebook at Republic of Booza, and we'll we update those daily, and we'll keep all the all the key highlights and new initiatives uh, au courant.
0: <laughs> Great, um, and you know, and and uh, I would encourage people. I mean, I feel like you know, lots of flavor ideas out there. Uh, I assume you guys take suggestions. Perhaps uh, you know, someday if somebody will suggest something, and it could become a flavor.
2: Why don't you give us one right now?
0: All right, I'll give you one right now. I would love. For there to be something that incorporated sancho pepper, Japanese sancho pepper. um, And I have a good source for you for sancho pepper um, or um, black sesame seeds or sesame paste.
2: All right. All right, we'll see if we can combine those two for you and That'd see be what we we'll come up
0: with. Sounds good. All right, well, thank you guys so much for joining me today on Feast Your Ears. Yeah, thank you thank for you. having us. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears. You can find this podcast, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please take a moment to rate and review the show, and please reach out to me if you have any questions. You can find me on email, harry at com. and you can follow me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week.